Welcome to How I Got Here with me, your host, Drina Whitfield, where we have conversations with dope women who have shattered barriers, embraced their uniqueness, and have achieved phenomenal accomplishments. Today, I'm talking with Shanae Ingleton-Smith, so get ready to be inspired as we explore her journey as a trailblazing creator, strategist, and multi-hyphenate entrepreneur who has conquered the media space. So don't go anywhere as we sit down with the inspiring Shanae Ingleton-Smith. Tanae, thank you so much for joining me today. You know, what's funny is maybe like a couple years ago, my team and I were discussing potential influencers around a project and we were introduced to Kensington Gray. And I think about the same time you said you had heard about with PR through the work we were doing with a client. So it's great to finally be connected. Thank you. And I'm excited to kind of just talk a little bit about your journey around how you have filled this void with Kensington Gray. But before we even get to that, I want to take it all the way back to when you were graduating high school. And I love to ask folks this question. But when you were graduating high school and you were you had your senior yearbook, when it said in there, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What did you write? So I don't think that that line was in my yearbook, but I was always... It It wasn't. I don't think that they had that. I'd have to go back and look. However, I was always very intentional and I always, I believed I was a vision, like I would always envision myself and um, manifest things. And I always wanted bigger and better for myself. I grew up in a city called Calgary, Alberta, which is like a smaller city in Western Canada. And um, I knew that I was going to like move to New York or move to LA or something like that and make it big. I didn't move to New York or LA, although New York is my second home. I moved to Toronto and, you know, started the agency, but I knew I was going to do something in like marketing, PR, something. I was, I feel like I was going to, I said, if if there were a line like that, I would have said I'm going to be like a CEO bitch or something like that. That yeah, would have been yeah. um, And I feel like it's come to life. There was definitely times in my early 20s and along the journey where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But yeah, I'm, I'm here and, and I love it. I love that. So before you got into communications and media, what were you doing? Like what were some of your initial jobs that may yeah. have prepared you to like your role today? So I studied finance in um, university. However, so my I graduated with a degree in finance and a minor in economics. But any of my elective courses or anything extracurricular that I took um, in my business program had to do with marketing or like venture development, anything like PR marketing related. I was I was super interested in that. Um, when I mm. very first graduated, I worked in like a financial consulting firm, and I did not like it. Um, this was in the early two thousands like right at the end, advent of the blog. So I decided to start a blog that just talked about all the things that I loved. And um, it was an escape from my daily grind in the corporate world. And it took off fairly quickly because there weren't a lot of, you know, Black girls um, that looked like me that were talking about, you know, like the fact that they had a love for Christian Louboutins and they're obsessed with sex in the city and like all of those things. So I found a, a little bit of a tribe through that blog and started doing events. And I started selling sponsorships to those events and then sponsorships on the blog. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I think like I'm onto something. So I left my career in finance and started to run that blog full-time as a career. That lasted, you know, 
a little less than a year before <laughs> I ran out of money. Um, but I didn't know that I was onto something. So I kind of parlayed my experience running the blog and planning events into a job working at a major national newspaper in uh, Toronto. And that's where I got, was that was my first foray into marketing and, and advertising. Mm. And I was seeing these huge companies like spend $75,000 for like a full page ad in the newspaper. And I was like, ain't nobody reading this. Like you guys have lots of money. I'm like, I could tell you, I could give you a million places <laughs> where you could spend that $75,000 instead of in this newspaper that nobody's going to read. But what that did was it opened my eyes to the amount of money that there was out there in advertising and marketing. It helped me understand that I had an ability to sell and to negotiate and that I could see a future for myself in that. So I was in that industry and, and kind of moved up within that industry and, and ended up working for Canada's equivalent to Viacom. I would say, yeah, sort of like Viacom. It was a major media conglomerate that owned all of Canada's major magazines and television stations, radio stations, digital properties. And I was responsible for a eight figure uh, block of business um, across all of those platforms. So that's sort of how I learned how to like negotiate and, you know, close deals and pitch. And as my career evolved, things moved from traditional media to social media. So we started paying these influencers like thousands of dollars for like Instagram posts and stuff like that. And back in my mind, I'm like, I used to do this stuff like years ago. Like maybe I can get back. <laughs> so I, in Canada, um, we are very fortunate to have um, a year to 18 months off with pay um, when we um, are on mat leave. So really, um, yeah. So, so I got met my husband, we got married. I was pregnant with my first daughter and um, I was on mat leave. And literally that time when I was off um, for a year, it was the first time that I had ever not, not worked. So I was like, I need to take advantage of this time. Obviously I need to raise my beautiful daughter, but let me take advantage of this time. So I decided to start a business um, during that time. And that's when I started Toronto Shea and became a content creator. And I started a Facebook group for other black creators so that I could learn from them on like the creative side. And then they could learn from me on the business and negotiation side. And then that eventually led to where I am today with Kensington Gray. The, some of the original founders and, and original members of that group are some of my closest friends, but they're some of the most successful creators mm. in the space now and people that I currently manage and are under my roster. So come on. That was like my long winded way of saying I started off in finance and then pivoted within a few years to marketing and advertising and then evolved to social media. And I haven't really looked back since. So when you were pregnant with your first daughter, how difficult was it for you to make that decision? Like, you know, I'm not going back to Rogers Communications. Like, so I actually did go back for one year. Okay. Okay. I was planning my exit strategy. Mark. I wasn't actually, to be, the, this is the thing. I actually loved my job. I loved what I did. I was one of those people who felt very, I was defined. I felt defined by what I did for a living. Mm. I was very proud to say what I did for a living. I genuinely enjoyed going to work every single day. 
Suzanne Boyd, for example, used to work at, at Rogers um, Media. Um, she was the former editor of chief in chief at Suede. Like we would see, you know, all of these exciting people coming into the office every day. Um, all of these exciting brands that you know were household names or reaching out to us, you know, giving us money to like spend across our platform. So I genuinely loved that. So it genuine, it was a struggle because I I made great money. I was you know making six figures in my late twenties, and I you know. I felt like I was really successful, but I definitely felt like there was a ceiling for me and I just didn't see a lot of opportunity for me to to excel further than my current role as like an account executive. So mm-hmm. while I was off, I my backup plan was, you know, let me try this influencer thing. Let's see how it goes. I went back to work and and after being on mat leave with my daughter and I was doing the influencer thing on the side. And I think that year, I think I only had like 20 or 30,000 followers as an influencer, but that year back at work, I made about the same amount of money as I was making at my full-time job. I think I made like 160 or 160, I think I made $180,000 that year as an influencer, which was about as much as what I was making in my role. And I was like, I did this part-time and I made all this money. So I was like, you know what? It's kind of now or never. I felt like if I really wanted to go back into that field, I could go back into it if this influencer thing didn't work out for me. But you know, now is the time. I might as well build on this momentum. So I resigned, not with the the, the goal of starting the agency, actually. It was just to just do the influencer thing full-time. But I few months later, I was presented with the opportunity of, of starting the agency after several girls from my Facebook group said, hey, can you manage me? And at first I started saying mm. no. And then I started saying, you know what? Yeah, I can actually, I can do this. because so I was negotiating deals for people on the side. And so I took on my first client, I believe in like the early spring of 2019. And then, uh, yeah, the, the rest is history. So was it, so to answer your question, to, to the, for the snippet, <laughs> it was a difficult decision because I wasn't sure if I, I, you know, I was venturing into something new. I'd never kind of done anything on my own successfully. Mm-hmm. Last time I left my job to work on my own. I ended up having to go back because I ran out of money. This time mm-hmm. I had money in the bank and I had a plan. I was doing well, but I did genuinely love my job. So it was hard to say goodbye, but it was the right decision for me. And I was, I'm so happy that I made it. And, um, and yeah, I haven't looked back since. What was that first like year or two of entrepreneurship like for you? Like, were there times where you felt like, what the hell am I doing? Why did I do this? Let me put my resume back up or let me call Rogers Communications and see if I can come back. Because I know as founders, you know, the this entrepreneurship road can be rocky, right? And so some days you're like, let me just pack up, close up shop and go back into the, the corporate world. Did you have moments like that, especially during that first year, even though you were making, you saw like I've made, last year I made the same amount of money that I made when I was working full time. When you took that first leap to dive into this entrepreneurship pool full time, what was that like for you? So I'm the dreamer of the two of, so between my husband and I, because we started the business together. He was more like... I don't know. Cause he, he left, he was running Warner brothers social 
the team prior to starting the agency. And he was actually laid off from his job. And he was interviewing at other companies like Facebook and TikTok and stuff like that um, for pretty senior roles. And I was like, you know what, let's just do the agency thing together. Let's give it a try. So for the first few months, it was me and him. And I always, it's funny, like I just, I always believed that he was more the practical one who was like, well, what if we don't sign any more influencers? Or what if, you know, Instagram changes like the algorithm and like Instagram becomes irrelevant. And he was always, you know, trying to play the devil's advocate. But genuinely, I always believed and I feel like we took some steps and made decisions um, earlier on in our, as a family that actually helped us. So my husband is, he's a Virgo. He's very practical. And when we were buying a house together, I wanted like, you know, why not have our dream home? Like right out the gate. Like that's, that was my thing. Like, I want to have my dream home. Like I want to have like, you know, the white picket fence and like the, you know, detached, beautiful, you know, marble everywhere home. And um, we went back and forth a lot on it. And we ended up deciding on getting like a more of a modest home that we could afford um, on just one of our salaries in the event that something happened. So the fact that we actually made that choice years prior, it actually gave us the cushion that we needed to start the business because we had enough money coming in so that we could handle anything that was going to be thrown our way. And we didn't have huge expenses on, you know, the household side, et cetera. Um, and we could make it through on just one of our incomes. But yeah, in the first few years, he was just not sure if it was the right, de- I shouldn't say first few years, first few months, he wasn't sure if it was the right decision. But as we continue to grow and as we continue to sign um, people, you know, he became more on board with it. And then um, when the pandemic hit a little bit less than a year into us first starting, that's, I think, when we were the most scared, like, oh, my God, like, did we make the wrong decision? But I feel like every industry was affected by that. And Mm -hmm. then after the pandemic, like, you know, the floodgates opened and that was like the busiest time for us. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, with the tragedy of George Floyd, it was a time of reckoning for many agencies and companies and people in the um, marketing landscape. And then they were looking to agencies like us to um, help them be more diverse. They were looking for more Black creators and that's what we did. So we were, it was one of those situations where preparation kind of met opportunity um, Mm -hmm. under us circumstances, but it ended up, you know, in the long run, um, being a huge benefit to our business. Yeah, same here. Same here. How is it working with your husband? Girl, (laughs) (laughs) that's how it is. No. So there are so many pros and there are so many cons. I'm very fortunate in that We actually worked together. So when I worked for eight years at Rogers, he actually worked there too in in different departments for most of the time. But there was a lot of like reorganization in the company. And at one point, he got reorganized into being my boss. This is when we were engaged. And so we knew what it was like to work with each other. I know his style. He knows my style. I knew what it was like to report to him. I knew what it was like to work alongside him. So we already had a test run. So we were prepared. But working with your husband during a pandemic, while you have a toddler at home and no help, not being able to leave the house, that was like crazy. And we joke now that like, if we were able to make it through that, we can make it through anything. Like we can survive. I know, anything. That's right. 
so the benefits to working with your husband is you have somebody who like you can trust and who has your back no matter what. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people start businesses with friends or start businesses solo and, you know, make major, make bad decisions or not make the right decisions um, because they didn't have somebody, you know, else there Mm -hmm. to um, kind of be it, act as a check or a balance. And then, you know, I've had people who start business with family or with a friend, and then it ends up tarnishing the friendship and they end up, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up or not being friends anymore. Whereas we, you know, we're committed to each other as husband and wife and as parents to our daughter. We had, I guess, we went into this knowing like we're in this, like we're not that like, this is it for us. And we are going to work through everything. And the goal is always to, you know, forward more, like forward mobility for us, our family and for the agency. And if we need to like, you know, argue it out, then we'll argue it out. But, you know, as long as we're working towards a common goal, but yeah, there were definitely days where it was like, oh my God, why did I, why did I decide to work with my husband? Like, we both hold each other accountable where we both feel comfortable speaking our minds to each other. And um, it's a double edged sword, but I honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. I love it. Talk to me a little bit about Kensington Gray and I'd love to know, like, how'd you come up with the name? So it's actually, that's our daughter's name. So um, oh, Kensington it. is her name and her middle name is Gray, but it also it's sort of dual. It has a dual meaning too, um, with gray, just meaning the world that, you know, we're living in and her being biracial. And we want, we wanted her to mm-hmm. see herself um, and women that looked like her mother, women that looked like her, um, people that looked like the people that she loved in the world um, truly represented. And we toyed with a number of different names. We just kept on coming back to Kensington Gray. And um, funny enough, when she was born, I had registered the name on um, social media just because I wanted to just keep it for her just in case for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And so I ended up just using the Instagram name and the Instagram page that was originally for her, just for the company. Um, And it's her company too. So so yeah, it's, it's, it's. I love that. I love that. I love it. So sweet. When you started, tell me how, I know you talked about a, a little bit early on, like, you know, you saw the need for the agency because a lot of the folks in the, in the Facebook group that you launched were like, hey, how, how can you manage me? How long ago after you started, did you officially land your first client? Like, did they slide in your DMs? Did they text you like, Shay, girl, help me out? Like, yeah. what was your client acquisition like? So client acquisition was like, we actually started the agency after we had our first. So we, so we got our first client and then we were like, oh shit, we need to start an agency. <laughs> so girls from the group, from our Facebook group kept on messaging me saying, hey, I just got this opportunity from Target. These are deliverables. Can you price it out for me? And I'm like, oh yeah, no worries, girl. And I would just like respond via DM saying, you know, you should ask for this amount of money. You should ask for this for usage, just for exclusivity, this for licensing, blah, blah, blah. There you go. Bye. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. And and then they would come back to me and they'd be like, oh my God, thank you so much. I got like $20,000. Like, can I like buy you a coffee or Starbucks or like give you something? And I'm like, no, don't worry about it. Just like pay it forward. It's all good. And then after that happened about maybe 20 or 30 times. I was like, you know what? This time I'd like to like negotiate this as your agency (laughs) or as your marriage. So, and you know, and I'm going to take a percentage and they're like, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, like you're, you're proven. So I started doing it for people sort of like freelance 
they just, the opportunities kept on coming. And then I said to a few of the girls that I was doing stuff for freelance, I was like, well, would you like to sign with me? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And so I started off with like about four or five um, girls. So one of like my first clients was Hilo Lux mm. and then also Karen wow. Richard. And okay. who else did, was one of the like original Oh, geez. Um, Shanice Parkin, who's natural Nisi. She's Shanice Crystal mm-hmm. on Instagram. And then I just, you know, kind of slowly kept on. Once people realized that I was actually like managing people, it just was word of mouth. And we just kept on um, signing people. And I, at first it was me doing all of the managing. And then Sean, he would do like the execution and like the operations and like the invoicing and stuff like that. So I got my first client before I actually started the agency. And that's sort of like what got me to like get it together and start make it official. Love it. How did you even decide like this is how much percentage I'm asked for? Like what? Because like you essentially you didn't have a roadmap on how to do this, right? Yeah. How did you say like, you know what, this is the percentage I'm going to ask, even though this is my girl, this is what I'm asked for, and yeah. this is just going to be the standard moving forward. What helped determine that for you? So I knew a lot of influencers and I knew a lot of people who were signed to management. So I knew the industry standard was 20%. So when we first started out, we offered people 15% because we were very new. We didn't really know if we we didn't know what we didn't know and we were pretty green so we started off with a 15% 15 20% split so 15% okay. of the opportunities that you bring in and then 20% we take of the opportunities that we brought you so we started off with that with a i would say within the first year but after the first year we kind of established ourselves and we realized and recognized the value that we were bringing and we also realized that you know what what we stand for and one of our core pillars is advocating for black women and ensuring that they're being paid what they're worth and being and they're not leaving any money on the table. So after like about a year of being in business, we actually made the move as an agency to like 20% across the board for all of our um, influencers because if we're advocating for them to making sure to make sure that they are getting what you know they're worth, we need to do the same thing for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a few, you know rare instances and grandfather instances where um, the percentage isn't 20%, but for the most part, um, it's 20% Mm -hmm. across the board. So we just what the industry standard was Mm -hmm. and uh, we priced things out accordingly. I saw somewhere that you have currently over 50 influencers under management with over 2000 successful campaigns to date. So, you know, it seems like you have the formula, right? For success. What do you offer that the influencers can achieve if they don't have management? So we take all of like the admin work off of their plate in terms of like the invoicing um, and, you know, following up with clients, the reviewing the contracts. We also do the negotiations. It's always easier to have somebody else negotiate on your behalf. They're not afraid to hard ask the hard questions there. It allows you to eliminate yourself from that back and forth so that you have somebody who has your best interests at hand and is not afraid to go for the jugular, if you will. Um, so that's something that we do. And that's something that we're really good at. We also have done the work to build the relationships with the agencies and the clients that are looking for talent. So they come to us first. So 
almost immediately when influencers sign to us, they're like surprised by um, the amount of opportunities that we start bringing them like from day one, because we have great relationships with all of the major influencer uh, agencies in the US. So it's gotten to the point where because we've established ourselves, because we're known for, you know, delivering, for professionalism, for organization and all of that. Um, if, you know, Pantene is looking for, you know, black girls with 4C hair, they come to us first to, you know, cover their bases. And then, you know, oftentimes they don't, they don't really look any further. Or if Fenty is doing an event in LA for their launch, they come to us to like film like half of their guest list. Or if, you know, the brands just know us and they come to us and mm-hmm. uh, so coming, be signing to us doesn't just ensure that the opportunities that you will, would have already gotten will be properly negotiated and you will get top dollar for them. You will also be exposed to new relationships, new agencies and new clients that you wouldn't otherwise have access to if it weren't for you being underneath the Kensington Gray umbrella. And we actually have a word for it internally. It's called the Kensington Gray effect. Our influencers okay. just are busier. They get more opportunities once they sign to us because we are always closing. We are always pitching. We're always putting our talent forward for opportunities. And they see the difference immediately when they're signed to us. Come on, Kay. Talk your shit. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. But the other thing, too, that I think that as people really love is the community. Mm-hmm. One thing that we really lean into that maybe not other uh, agent, other agencies don't make as much of a priority is like, we're, it's a sisterhood over here. Like, if one of y'all are on the Pantene came, campaign, like, everyone's going to be on the camp- Pantene campaign. I and don't it. you want to together. And at first people were like, oh my God, like, I don't want anybody else to be pitched put forward on any, on my deals, et cetera, et cetera. And we get that. We don't, we respect the confidentiality of, of opportunities that come directly to a person. But once something is closed, signed, sealed and delivered, we always try to see how we can build on that and expand on that. And everybody benefits from that. And everyone has seen it. We leverage relationships with brands and, and turn them into like girls trips and our families. We just worked out a um, a deal with a tourism board where a bunch of our black couples are going to be going on a trip, all expenses paid. And, and we're sending our photographer to capture those moments and just to basically to show people Mm -hmm. showing up, happily and unapologetically black thriving successful and um that's part of you know what we do and we encourage our our influencers in different cities to meet up with each other to shoot together to to help each other to collaborate with each other whenever an event is happening in a specific city we email everyone individually saying this person this person this person and this person from the agency is going to be there make sure you say hi make sure you take photos together <laughs> don't be a stranger i'm very much like mother hen like that with all I love of them it. And it pushes some of them out of their comfort comfort zone, but they're all so mm-hmm. grateful for it. Like we are literally like, I know family and business, like people, those have become bad words, but like we, we really lean into that and encourage that sisterhood and brotherhood in the agency. Mm-hmm. I love that. How big is your staff? We are about to hire our 21st employee. So we're doing- Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. So yeah. with the 
what does client management and like employee management look like for you? So that has been, I, I feel like, like the boss bitch that you was going to write in your yearbook <laughs> if you had that. <laughs> yeah, that's been a very, it's a huge learning process for me. Cause again, I'm the ideas person. I'm like, let's just like run and do it. And like, we'll figure everything out later. Whereas my, like my husband, Sean, he's like, okay, well, what, what are the, what's going to be the process? Like, what's the infrastructure? Like, can we afford this? Like, like I'm just very much like, let's just figure it everything out later. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, now that we have a team <laughs> and we have employees, you know, I, we just have to be a lot more mindful of things like mental health and work-life balance. I'm a millennial and I came up in, I forged my career and built my, you know, built myself up in the grind, in grind culture. And I know that that's not really healthy. I'm learning Mm -hmm. deep myself from, you know, that mm-hmm. thought process. And a lot of our Gen Z employees have, you know, reminded me. Because they me are not with that. They are not with it. They are definitely not about that life. And you know what? <laughs> um, I, at first I was like, do you not want to work here? Or exactly. do you want to have a job? But now I get it. Like I understand the balance yeah. and I understand that actually you get more out of people when yeah. you give them the freedom and the autonomy to, you know, take like to take that time off and to recharge, mm-hmm. et cetera, to so that they can show up as their best selves and so that they feel, you know, valued and all of those things. And these are things that I've learned, all, like I've been learning yeah. and, and trying to be better at. And then also too, just, you know, understanding that like we are working in a business that or one of our core pillars rather is ensuring that we're advocating on behalf of black women. Most of the women that work for us are black women. So I need to make sure that we are paying competitively. Mm -hmm. So I had to do, and when we very first started, we just asked people, you know, what are your salary expectations? And then if we could meet them, we would meet them. And if not, we would try to negotiate with them. And then as we grew and we got bigger and bigger, I, I had to reach out to my colleagues in the industry. I had to do the research. I had to go on like glass door and and figure out like how, what our counterparts were be paying their team because mm-hmm. I would be damned if me as a black owned agency was not paying black women fairly. So that was really important um, for me to do that work and to, to ensure that we were paying competitively. And so mm-hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago, we went through and we did an analysis of what everyone was being paid. And we looked at what the industry standards were. And we made sure that we, that a lot of people were, were already being paid um, industry standard, but there were some that were not. And so we bumped everybody up to make sure that everyone was being paid competitively. So it's also about knowing like when you didn't have, get it right, or when you made mistakes in, in owning up to that and listening to employees and not thinking that you have all the answers, because we definitely don't have all the answers. We're definitely open to suggestions and we're open mm-hmm. to their feedback um, because I feel like them challenging us has actually helped us grow and um, be better. And, you know, it's obviously it's a delicate dance, too, because we also have to they need to know that like this is a business and it's not like an unlimited pool of resources. But at the same time, um, we want to make sure that we're showing up for them because they definitely show up for us and for our creators. And they're a huge reason for um, our success. I love that. I love that. I'm a firm believer in that as well. And come on, 21 employees. <laughs> so how do you measure the success of like a successful campaign? Is it sales or engagement or is it a combination of both? 
I mean, it really depends on what the, the client's KPIs are. So if the client is looking to sell and move product and we end up selling and moving product, then it is a success. But if the client's role, job, or what their focus is on, you know, awareness and just getting the word out there, mm-hmm. then we'll look at things like engagement and reshares and reposts and what people are saying. Or yeah, it's, it can be a combination of, of both too. It really just depends on what the client's goals are. And that mm-hmm. depends on, you know, who the client is and what time of year it is. is it like, is it a holiday campaign where they are genuinely trying to move units off the shelves for the holiday? Or is it like a new product launch where they just want people to be aware that this product exists and, um, and then they, they'd be happy with sales too. And that would be icing on the cake or it's a combination of both. I find with like TikTok, particularly in like the beauty and skincare p- space, they're looking to drive sales. And then I find now on Instagram with like, photos and carousels. It's more about awareness. Like they, they really want to make sure that there's a great detail in a product shot shot so that the client, the people or their community see what the product looks like. So like when they're at CVS or when they're at Sephora, they recognize the packaging from when they saw it on your Instagram page, or, you know, they they use like an in-feed post as more of like an awareness play and then stories, because there's an opportunity to have links that can link out to, for people to purchase. They use the stories as more of like a sales driver. So I think that it really depends on what the client's key KPIs and goals mm-hmm. are. And, um, and sometimes they look to us for what the solution is. And, um, and then we tell them, you know, what, what we recommend based on what they're looking for. And then um, sometimes we recommend specific influencers, depending on what the goal is. Like we have somebody like Asiami Gold, who is like a true artist and she approaches every single collaboration she does with a brand. Like it's like a an ad campaign that's going to be on a billboard and she, her storytelling is phenomenal. Her photography is breathtaking and editorial style. She's great for like awareness and for creating content that brands can then repurpose for branding and awareness use down the road. And then we have somebody like Hilo Lux who also creates beautiful um, editorial quality content, but her followers are there to shop. So Mm -hmm. We always put her forward for the campaigns where a lot of clients are looking to convert and when they're looking to move units off the shelf, but it, it varies. Got it. I know a lot of people listening would want to know, like, how do I become a client of Kensington Gray? Like, what do you look for in a new client? We get this question a lot. We actually have it pinned to uh, the top of our Instagram page, but I'm happy to um, to share here as well. We look for people who are kind of one of a kind in their particular category. So that we, and what that looks like, I, it's different every single time. We want somebody who's different. We want someone who, when they come to us, and they want to book you for a campaign. Take the notorious Kia, for example. She's one of the influencers who signed to our roster. She's a New York, a New Yorker. She is um, a sneakerhead. She's got a beautiful fro of curly hair. She's very much a Tom girl and just gives New York high fashion, vintage. Mm-hmm. 
just swagger. And um, yeah, there's nobody like her on the ground. There are very few people like her. So when clients come to us and they want to work with her, when we go in with those rates, it's like, if they don't go with her, who else are you going to go with? So it's like, Mm -hmm. she's so, she brings something so unique and niche to the table that there is no other alternative. And that makes our job, job easier. We don't want somebody who looks like a million other people, because when we go Mm -hmm. to them with, you know, the rates that we go to these clients with, they'll be like, oh, don't worry. You know, we're not like, we're going to go in a different direction. And they're just going to go to somebody else who looks exactly like that person and fits, you know, takes all of the same boxes as as that person for a lower price. So we like to go with people who really are one of one. Come on, alien superstar. Oh, yeah. Come on, alien superstar. (laughs) So we like to go with people that, yeah, are very unique and and rare and cannot are not easily replaceable um, and stand out. And then we look for people who are growing, actively growing and regularly posting on social media. They're regularly engaging with their community. So they're responding to comments. They are showing up and speaking to the camera so that people kind of know like who they are and what their personality is. They're active on more than one platform. Instagram is not that girl anymore. You have to be on TikTok um, and you need to be posting regularly on TikTok as well and growing on TikTok. We like when somebody's also on YouTube. And if you're on Instagram, make sure that you're posting reels. Photos are also not that girl anymore. You have to show up on video. You can still, you know, throw up a carousel every once in a while. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. However, Brands are looking for video content. People are looking to engage with short form, quick um, video content. And that's what the algorithm is pushing. And that's what brands are are looking for. Mm -hmm. We also look for people who have a a majority U.S. audience because we do have some really successful and great creators that have beautiful content and engaged audience, but then we'll see that a large, a large portion of their following is like based in like different countries in Africa or even in the UK. And while we love that for them, when we have a brand like Dove or CVS that wants to drive people in store, if the majority of the audience is based outside of the United States, they consider that to be not a good user experience. If you're mm. Nigeria and you're, you're in the UK and CVS doesn't exist there or you or, or you know the product specifically that they're promoting is not available in that region then that presents a problem so um, we look for people who have a high percentage US and or North American audience I love the tips come on because I was mm-hmm. I was going to ask you like where do you see the industry like moving towards because like like you said like remember I was talking to somebody the other day about vines remember when vines were a thing and now they're like mm-hmm. non-existent mm-hmm. and like you said now photos are not that girl on Instagram now reels are kind of kings like where do you see the industry kind of moving towards them in terms of content and how you'll manage your influencers and the content that they produce I would say Definitely video content, short form video content, people who show up authentically, people who show personality, that like mysterious, like never talking, perfect life vibe is just not it anymore. People want to see somebody that is like relatable, somebody who they see a little bit of themselves in. They love aspirational content, but they also like to just, you know, see people who don't necessarily take themselves too seriously, somebody who they can see 
themselves hanging out with and being friends with. I see people moving more towards that, like, just like the, you know how like um, the day in my life routine type videos were just like really blowing up on like the reels and on TikTok. Mm-hmm. They like to see like the everyday monotony of every other pe- uh, regular everyday people's lives so that they can see a little bit of themselves in it. And it's just super relatable and interesting. It's like, you know, kind of like peering or like people watching. Being nosy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being nosy. Exactly. <laughs> What's the day in the life of, you know, Sine, you know, running two successful businesses? Yeah. So days, my days change every day. So I wake up and I usually, so we put our daughter to bed in her bed, but usually like around like two or three o'clock in the morning, she gets up and she comes into our bed. So I usually, <laughs> usually yep. By our side, either her like kicking one of us in the face, or we have like an elbow <laughs> or something like that in like my side from her. And you know, we make her breakfast and we get her ready for school, and then we drop her off at school. And then from there, I typically start on my meetings. I you know, get, try not to have too many meetings in the morning. And then I'll grab some time to review um, emails that come in and opportunities and, you know, negotiations. And then we typically have client meetings and, or meetings with our influencers throughout the day. And then depending on whether or not uh, we have like any pitches due or anything like that. I'll usually block some time off in the afternoon to work on pitches to finalize those proposals so I can send them out to clients. And we are very fortunate. We have a nanny who is wonderful and she's great with our daughter. Um, she actually makes dinner for us and picks our, um, our daughter up for, for, from school. So she'll pick her up from school and um, she makes dinner for us. So I work typically until dinner is ready. And then we have dinner together as a family with our nanny and we just go through the day and we talk through the day with Kensington. And then then it's time to kind of get Kensington ready for bed. And so we get her ready for bed. Um, she usually gets either a book or she gets to like play a game on like her iPad before she goes to bed. And then she'll go to bed around 8.39. And then I will either watch one of my guilty pleasure shows, you know, I might pull up Hulu and watch like the housewives or something like that. But oftentimes I'll get through whatever emails I wasn't able to get through for um, the rest of the day, or I'll just like watch television with Sean and, you know, with a glass of wine and then um, it's bedtime and back at it again. Uh, I recently incorporated, I got a personal trainer and I started working out Okay. A few days a week in the morning. That's been tough. I've I've canceled the last few ones because I just was too busy or I was traveling. Um, but I mm-hmm. want to put that back into my schedule again because it really helped just kind of clear my mind and gave yep. me some me time so that I could be more efficient during the day. Yes. Working out is like hard to fit in, but once you get in the group, it's it's truly a set like it really helps me out too, like clearing my mind and, and like helping me focus and just having some me time for myself outside of running the business and, you know, being a mom and a wife. What's next for you? What's next in your journey? Any new business endeavors or expansions you want to share with the audience? I think we're going to continue to grow more and more. We truly believe in the power of PR. Again, um, you know, we have a PR team that we work with in Europe that has really helped with our girls getting into just really expanding into the luxury space because I, one of the things that I felt like we were very strong in and we kind of hit the ground running with was 
making sure that our influencers were paid and, and earning, you know, what their white counterparts were, were making. But one area that we found it difficult to break into was the luxury space. We felt like it was very closed door and there wasn't just a, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for black and brown um, men and women to, to break into those spaces or there was like limited numbers of seats at the table. And I just really took issue with that. And I made it my mission to ensure that our women and, and our, you know, and other Black women um, would be seen in those spaces, would be seen thriving in those spaces, um, would be at the shows like Balmain and and Stella McCartney and um, Roberta Cavalli and, you know, Louis Vuitton and Chanel and Hermes and things like that. And we are making, um, we're breaking into that space slowly, but surely. We also are breaking into product development. So we have um, a few of our influencers are creating proprietary products that are successful and, and are going to be doing really well. And I could see us going into like the VC space uh, eventually as well, funding creator-led brands that, yeah, that we've believe in and that we think will be successful. So, but what's next for us? We're going to continue to grow and hopefully we'll continue to thrive. And, and yeah. I love that. Um, well, I'm wishing you much success in that. I mean, you're already at 21 employees. So like, I just imagine you're going to continue to grow. Okay. So I want to do some quick fire questions before we jump off. So I want you to just give me your, the first answer that comes to mind when I ask you the question. Yeah. So let's get to it. So, what song would we be surprised you know all the lyrics to? Um, you might not be surprised, but actually, you know what? I'm like, what do I know? You know what? Anything by um, Tony Braxton, The Heat, that album, I probably know every single word on that album <laughs> from start to finish. That album was Love like it. fire, legendary, in my opinion. <laughs> A classic. Last good book you read? Last good book that I read? Hmm. I can't think of one right now, but a favorite book of mine um, that I often refer to, believe it or not, and I've had for about 20 years is The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Mm. Okay. What's one thing you would tell your 18-year-old self not to worry about? That dude. <laughs> 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 girl, don't worry about him. You be you will be fine, girl. That Bye. dude. Don't worry about him. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather pay to see a movie in the theater or pay to watch it at home? I would rather pay to watch it at home. Same. You have all your own snacks. You can have a glass of wine. You can just chill. You gotta get dressed. And then lastly, what's one productivity app that you cannot live without? productivity app i would say just google suite okay okay like my google calendar and my notes or actually no that's not google you know what are there lots of apps that keep me organized you know what slack we live yes. in Dubai, slack at, at kensington gray so do we I, it took me a yeah. minute to kind of get into it but now like i can't live without it yeah well, Shay, thank you for joining me today. Where can folks find, follow, you know, subscribe to all the things? So they can find me on Toronto Shay. Um, that's my personal page. And they can also follow me on Kensington Gray. Love it. I just want to tell you this, though. You are 
an amazing, you know, businesswoman. Like just even hearing your story here today and seeing it on social, you are that CEO boss bitch that you would have wrote in your yearbook. And I'm excited to honestly see the continued growth of the agency. And I think, think it's amazing that the talent that you're reflecting and, and, and representing is all Black women and, and providing that example for your daughter, my daughter, like all the brown daughters in the world. So keep going. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening today. Thank you to our guest today, Shanae Ingleton-Smith. So, so, so inspiring. This show is hosted by me, Drina Whitfield, produced by Kena Williams and Blake Lou Merwin, and edited by Mr. Matt Pro and brought to you by Wit Productions. If you've loved today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you back here next week. Oh, and if you want to keep up with me, follow me on Instagram at Drina and follow the show at How I Got Here underscore. Oh, and you can also, you know, follow my business with PR at with PR, W-H-I-T-P-R. See you next week.